Good morning. Are we on up there? There we go. Sort of, kind of. Well, let's pray while that's getting worked out. Father, thank you so much for this day. We uh, thank you so much that you love us and that you've saved us, you've filled us with your Holy Spirit, and that we can enjoy learning and growing together. Thank you for the relationship each of us has with you, Lord. We pray over this year that it would be deepened and uh, our devotion to you would be greater and greater. We just thank you and praise you for this time in your word now, Lord. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning with a verse from Philippians 3, 1 through 8, a a section. This is a very familiar passage, but let's read it together. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision. What a blessing to hear that. Who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. Did yours go away? Because mine did. Oh, there we are. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. In verse 8, Paul tells us that the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, is of first importance. And uh, that's the title of this message, Surpassing Value, The Surpassing Value of Knowing Christ. Um, My goal is to describe or you take about half our time and describe a conference that Gordon and I went to on January 3rd called Science and the Wisdom of God. It was a conference uh, put on by the ORU Faculty of Science and Engineering um, at Oral Roberts University. They've received a large grant called by the uh, BioLogos Foundation. And... Um, use the second half of the message to um, just tell you my impressions of uh, or where the Lord took me, I believe, through the leading of his Holy Spirit. I'm not intending to get deeply into staking out a position on evolution or creation or origins, um, but more just uh, 
ask you to follow kind of the uh, stream of consciousness that I was experiencing there. Um, it was a blast to have Gordon sitting next to me. Um, there were 13 pastors there, six project advisors, and seven ORU faculty. And uh, Gordon was a joy because he was like uh, what I imagined Karl Barth was like. Karl Barth was someone we learned about, a Swiss theologian. We learned about him in seminary. Uh, he was famously known for saying that the man of God should have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And uh, Gordon was fulfilling that, except instead of a newspaper, he had his iPad. And uh, so he was looking at scripture, looking at articles they were referencing and pointing to me and pointing to scripture. And uh, he was a, a real joy and example. Interestingly, Karl Barth emphasized the sovereignty of God and an infinite qualitative distinction between God and mankind, which kind of fits uh, the theme of where we're going. But uh, it was a joy having Gordon there beside me. Let me read to you a, a paragraph about the agenda for that conference first, so you get a feel for what was the ORU faculty interested in. In the invitation letter, they said, recent survey data and anecdotal evidence suggest a significant need within the Christian community to become more knowledgeable and conversant on how current scientific models relate to a Christian worldview. This is important for both evangelism and apologetics when interacting with unbelievers, but also within the church, not only to provide information that strengthens our faith, but also prepares us to be more effective witnesses when engaging our scientific culture in the marketplace of ideas. It goes on, but you get the feel um, that they're wanting uh, to help the church. This foundation is wanting to help the church um, be able to be conversant with science and faith, issues of science and faith. Privately, I pulled Hal aside uh, and John Korstad, some of you know John, and said, is there some kind of hidden agenda here, or uh, what, what is the president after in asking you guys to meet with us? And they were very candid and said one of their concerns, or one of the president's concerns, is that, is that if the faculty uh, in the bi biology and engineering sciences um, gets too much into uh, evolutionary ideas and um, embraces some of those, uh, will parents keep their kids from coming to ORU? Uh, isn't that interesting? And I think that's probably a very real concern and a very real possibility. So that was the um, agenda of this conference. Some of the questions that were raised uh, were these. These were the ones that kind of stuck out to me. When science and the Word of God don't seem to agree, what position or stances can one take? What are the choices? What are the options out there? Is the science versus Scripture a false dichotomy? A false dichotomy. How and when and why did the field of science separate itself from biblical authority? It's an interesting history there. Is the church failing its young people by not fully engaging ideas concerning evolution 
origins and current scientific findings. Jim shared a story last Sunday night where he went to, uh, when he was in uh, his training, biblical training, he went to one of his pastors with a question, and the, que the pastor basically said, well, it says right here in the Bible what the answer is. And, and Jim privately thought, you know, you dope, I know what the Bible says. I'm struggling with a question that's contrary to that, and I'm needing some resolution. Um, and so we want to do the same thing for our young people, I assume, and that is prepare them for the world of ideas that are out there. So this was one of the questions that was raised. And then finally, how can the ORU College of Science and Engineering foster a dialogue on issues of faith and science, especially concerning origins, and serve the body of Christ? There were several key concepts, and, and for you scientists and engineers, these are going to be very basic, but um, for those of us who, who, who don't run in these streams, I think it's good to understand some of these key concepts. The first one is that there are two ways of knowing. Can you see that very well? Is it hard to see? The boxes, sorry about that. The box in the upper left-hand corner says key concept, two ways of knowing. And then down in the lower left, theology, the main goal is to understand spiritual reality. Science, the main goal is to understand physical reality. Now, of course, there's some overlap in both of those, but this diagram is pointing out that you have scripture and you have creation, and both must go through a filter of human interpretation for uh, the discipline of theology and the discipline of science. And then once it's gone through those filters, they dialogue back and forth. So there are two ways of knowing. These ways of knowing are natural or general revelation and the Bible called special revelation. So in this diagram, God is at the bottom. As you go up to the left, you see general revelation leading to science. And if you go to the right, up to Christianity. And if you go to the left, scientism. And then God again starting at the bottom. If you go to the right, special revelation, which is the Bible, biblical theology, and biblicism and Christianity. So let me read you a little explanation of this model. This diagram or a version of it has been discussed in Christian scientific circles for many years. It's taken from God Did It, But How? by a man named Robert Fisher. He's a, he's a theistic uh, evolutionist. God's revelation to us includes two significant aspects, general revelation through nature and special revelation through Jesus Christ as revealed through the scriptures. The two canons must be completely consistent since they are simply two expressions of the same personality. However, humans in their limited understanding and fallenness can only interpret these revelations in a limited fashion and thus frequently will differ in their conclusions. The disagreements are between science and biblical theology, not between science and the Bible. Consideration of one source of truth to the exclusion of the other leads to either biblicism or scientism. So the idea is that 
both disciplines uh, need to speak to Christianity. Um, that if, if, if you just, if you turn your back on science completely, you'll end up in a self-feeding loop of, of biblicism. And if science turns its back on theology, it will become an ism of, you know, of um, more than just science. So I don't know if you can see that very well. I hope you can. Um, another key concept is that uh, a, a man named uh, Richard Boubet, I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, said that there are four general stances one can take when science and theology seem to conflict. Um, the first is conflict. Uh, either science is right or theology is right. They cannot both be right when they give conflicting views of some issue in origins. I tried to give nicknames to each of these. So this is the my way or the highway. I, I nicknamed it my way or the highway view. Then compartmentalization, science and theology are in two different realms. They address different issues and have minimal interaction. I call this the separation of church and state uh, category. Then concordance, science and theology are in agreement, but often the problem is lack of understanding of science or theology. When science and theology both discover more, the difficulties will disappear. Might call this the pan-millennialist view, that all things will pan out in the end. And then there's com complementarity. Science and theology are both human activities and therefore imperfect. Differences are inevitable, and they may or may not be resolved as our science and theology improve. Um, this, is, this is attractive because it implies there's some humility about what we know and don't know, and to hold things a bit tentatively and suspend judgment. But um, the nickname, nickname I gave this one is don't sweat the small stuff or wear these ideas like a loose jacket. Um, further insights may change things. I wanted to uh, read from a Wheaton paper um, where there was a chemistry class, and these four uh, categories were presented to the students. I think you'll find it interesting. Boubet's attempts at categorizing theology-science interaction caused a high degree of frustration in a recent capstone chemistry course. Boubet leans toward complementarity, which the students labeled a cop-out, because in their view it breeds complacent agnosticism. Of course, agnosticism means not you don't know or don't take a position. In Generation X speak, the view was expressed that he, Boubet, throws out a few dogs first, which no one can be happy about, and then his lame idea of complementarity, which doesn't look half bad at the end. We leave you, the reader, to draw your own conclusions. So there it is. Um, this was helpful to me to think about two types of science, because in my mind, I was thinking of science as just the empirical testing, validity, retesting uh, kind of uh, part of science. But Hal Reed actually taught, Hal's a, a previous member at TCF, 
that there's a need to clarify what type of science you are discussing when discussing science, because in fact there are really two broad types of science. Geisler and Anderson propose in their book, Origins Science. First of all, you have operations science, which is the empirical, repeatable, experimental science of current operations in nature. That'd be the empirical, empirical retestable. And then origin science, which is the historical science based on um, ancient circumstantial evidence that occurred only once and cannot be repeated yet is observational of what happened in the past. So Hal used the metaphor of a CSI crime scene. Most of us are familiar with that. You come upon a crime scene, and from the evidence on the scene, you uh, try to think backwards and deduce or infer what happened. This is sometimes called indirect science, and some examples are archaeology, paleontology, and geology. So this is another key concept that there's not just one but two uh, types of science. Some interesting quotes that uh, stuck with me enough that I wrote them down or, or um, remembered them from previous uh, times of learning. Galileo famously said, the Bible tells us how to go to heaven, but not how the heavens go. John Corstead uh, professor of biology there said, science tests things to accept or reject, not prove them. I thought that was interesting, coming from a scientist. One faculty member said, science is a graveyard of concepts that new data has discredited. And Dominic Halsmer, the uh, uh, head of the engineering department, said, the universe shows Exquisite engineering expertise. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? All right. Our engineers are, are going for it. And God is more like a process engineer than a divine craftsman. I talked to a couple of engineers in our body here to make sure I understand what this means. And um, in a nutshell, a process engineer is an engineer who uh, might design a system and then initiate the system and then oversee the system and then infuse constant changes in the system to maintain it and make it flourish. In other words, he doesn't pull back from the system but stays involved in overseeing the system and adjusting the system. Um, a divine, whereas a divine craftsman is more like the deist view that the divine craftsman uh, sets up the universe and then goes off and does something else because uh, this is self-sustaining, more of a deistic view. Sir Francis Bacon said, let no man or woman out of conceit or laziness think or believe that anyone can search too far or be too well informed in the book of God's words or the book of God's works religion or science. Instead, let everyone endlessly improve their understanding of both. That's a beautiful quote, isn't it? Exciting. A different view or a different sentiment from the theological side, Roger Nix, the pastor of Believer's Church, said this. And I thought it was excellent. Faith is not about certainty. Faith is about trust in God. We have many questions for God, but he has one question for us. Will you trust me? 
I think that was an excellent thought, quote. Albert Einstein said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. And then he quotes Matthew 21, 14, the blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. I put here a clever but certain misuse of scripture. Uh, that's not what that scripture was intended to mean. But I really appreciated, uh, actually, the use of scripture that the ORU faculty quoted. For example, Proverbs 25.2, this is a scripture I've always loved. Uh, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. I've always loved that when there was a mystery in, in my life, say a, a disease or something that I wanted to find that accurate diagnosis, that accurate understanding, that it's our privilege as God's children to seek out answers. Um, and I, I love the scientific endeavor to seek out answers, that that is our, our prerogative as his children and as kings. And then Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which are visible. These scientists, brilliant minds, were quoting these verses, and it was wonderful to see. Probably the professor I was most uh, inspired by was a mathematical physicist, uh, Dr. An Andrew Lang. From an early age, he said he delighted in science and atheism, and he enjoyed uh, uh, sword fighting, if you will, with mis- and ill-informed Christians, um, in his opinion. Um, his focus is quantum theory, fine-tuning, and open science. Um, quantum theory and open science I'm not too familiar with, but fine-tuning is that, is that science that talks about how um, uh, there's, there, to put it in a easy way, there's, there's, there's hundreds of um, calculations, hydrogen, salt, miles from the sun, um, carbon, all these minute calculations that if they were slightly different, life could not exist. And how, how, how much of an evidence that is for a creator, uh, for intelligent design. Well, I raised my hand while he was speaking, and, and I said, uh, Dr. Lang, you know, I've always thought that fine-tuning was a pretty strong um, evangelistic tool. What do you think? And he said, oh, he said, uh, I never talk about this stuff when I'm witnessing. He said, um, I only talk about Jesus and uh, and." about a person's desire, do they want to believe or do they not want to believe? He said that people um, invariably, you end up, he said, you just end up arguing on a higher level uh, if you try to use this type of an argument to win over an atheist. He said they always have some comeback. And um, it made me think of this cute quote that I haven't read for years, but I found it in my drawer. I fully realize that I have not succeeded in answering all of your questions. 
Indeed, I feel I have not answered any of them completely. The answers I have found only serve to raise a whole new set of questions, which only lead to more problems, some of which we weren't even aware were problems. To sum it all up, in some ways, I feel we are as confused as ever. But I believe we are confused on a higher level and about more important things. So those of us wanting certainty, that's not funny at all. But uh, I think it's kind of cute. Um, Nathan Moline is a professor emeritus of earth science and geography. He was also at this uh, meeting, a very outspoken man. And he, he just stood up at one point and talked about his own crisis of faith. He grew up Assembly of God. And um, in his study of uh, geology and earth science, he he came to a crisis of faith. He didn't describe what that was, but I can only assume it was that his his, uh, discipline as a scientist had brought a clash with his his, um, view of, of, of biblical authority and the word. And he said when he prayed about it, God reminded him of the four cardinal doctrines of his childhood and of Pentecostalism in his um, upbringing. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Healer. Jesus is Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the soon coming King. He said, that's all I got. And uh, that ministered to him. And it also ministered to me, not in a way to ignore all this higher learning, but to remember that the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Amen? I love higher learning, you guys. I have something like 8 to 13 years of post-college education. I'll always be a learner. I bought four books as a result of going to this conference. I've always been inspired by quotes like Chuck Ferris, that God did not blow out your brains when he blew in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Scott Stanley, a marriage researcher, said that science is, and research is the currency of our culture. What he meant was, if you can quote science, if you can quote research, You'll be on Oprah tomorrow. You know, it's just, he's been on Oprah several times in 2020. And he said, but but if you can talk research and scripture, you become a missionary to our culture. Isn't that a a beautiful sentiment? I was inspired to hear at this conference that Oral Roberts wrote, read a book a week. That was his lifestyle. Love learning. I'm at about, about the need for apologetics. One of one of uh, favorite verses is is First um, Peter three fifteen. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I set yearly goals to learn a new subject. And so I want to say all that to convince you that I love learning. But 
what the Lord has been saying to me even before this conference was that I have been distracted and that I need to renew acquaintance with the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. I want to focus on Jesus Christ in 2014, asking myself a few questions. To what degree will I pursue him this year? What degree will I pursue the knowledge of him? To what degree will I seek to deepen my relationship with him? To what extent will I foster a culture of Christ in my home? To what extent will I be willing to be conformed by him into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? So, while the wisdom of this world is of great value, the scriptures say it is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. May we have a mind in love with God. That was said of Jonathan Edwards, that he was a mind in love with God. To whatever extent I learn about humankind and our universe, I want to have a mind primarily in love with God and a heart that elevates the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. I know that's your heart as well. So let's look at some scriptures that talk about that. Did it go away? There it is. Well, first of all, let's, so, so here are the renewed convictions that uh, came to me as a result of attending this, this seminar and even, even beforehand, and that is the supremacy of special revelation over general revelation. Science and the word are both valuable but not equal revelations. The special revelation is, well, special. Because science is limited to what can be understood by our five senses. This is a point that um, is not mine, per se. Uh, even the ORU scientists were making this point, that science is limited to what can be, be perceived by our five senses, and I would add by human reason to capture that second type of science. Special revelation has no such limitation. There's a couple of verses there for your reference. Also, science is by its very nature never settled. Whereas the grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'd like to read a couple uh, quick uh, quotes along these lines. Albert Moeller wrote this. Uh, some, somebody was saying in an article somewhere that evolution is settled science. And um, Moeller replies, the problems with this argument are legion. In the first place, there is no such thing as settled science. There is a state of scientific consensus at any given time, and science surely has its reigning orthodoxies. But to understand the enterprise of science is to know that science is never settled. The very nature of science is to test and retest hypotheses and to push toward new discoveries. No Nobel Prizes are awarded for settled science. Instead, those prizes are awarded for discoveries and innovations. Many of those prizes, we should note, were awarded in past years for scientific innovations that were later rejected. Nothing in science is truly settled. As far as special revelation um, being special, I want to quote uh, page uh, 42 43, excuse me, of uh, one of Jim Garrett's, I I believe it's Jim, your uh, work on hermeneutics. But he writes, uh, it is only by special revelation that we know the true nature of God. Paul said to the Athenians, what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Thus nature and experience are the subjective revelation of God. Because from these sources, one can reach only subjective conclusions about God. The Bible, however, is God's objective revelation of himself. He has spoken. He has parted the curtain and asked us to look inside. Special revelation. A second renewed conviction was the supremacy of Christ in the creation and sustaining of the world. We're going to look at some scriptures about that in a minute. And then the third one was the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Like Dr. Moline, our first focus and highest priority must be Jesus Christ. To be pleasing to him, whether we're a scientist, a theologian, a janitor in construction, a retiree, businessman, businesswoman, homemaker, student, boy, or girl, we agree with Paul, when he said, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. A little bit on this not equal revelation. Scripture tells us that the two ways of knowing reality are not equal in weight or authority. And here's some verses to support that that came to my mind. All Scripture is inspired. God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed to us belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. And then this was a, a verse that uh, Dr. Andrew Lang, the one who was so interesting, 
um, quoted, and he quoted it in the message version. I just thought it was beautiful. This is where uh, the Lord is rebuking jo uh, Job uh, and has come to meet Job and answer his questions. And he asked Job, can you catch the eye of the beautiful Pleiades sisters or distract Orion from his hunt? Can you catch... Can you get Venus to look your way or get the great bear to come out and play? Do you know the first thing about the sky's constellations and how they affect things on Earth? Uh, ten years or so ago, my dad's 80th birthday party, we all met up at Glacier National Park. Um, and we were taking a, a, an excursion across Glacier Lake. Um, and we were in this tour boat, and there was a young 20-something, probably 20-year-old 20 uh, college student on a microphone telling us about glaciers and plate tectonics and, and uh, what happened 20 million years ago. And I wanted to run up there and grab that microphone and, and ask, does, does it strike anyone else as the height of hubris and lunacy, that this 20-year-old would be telling us what happened 20 million years ago? I mean, it just, it just struck me as one of those so surreal, weird moments. Uh, not that being 47 or 48 at the time would have given me any great advantage over her. The second uh, renewed conviction was that all was created through him, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then John 1, um, Obviously, this is not correct, the reference, too many verses there, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And finally, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. This verse talks about, in my view, obedience and love. What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Some verses on his preeminence and glory. Again, Colossians 1.18, so that he himself will come to have first place, or the preeminence, some versions say, in everything. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
and he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. This verse I couldn't help but throw in just because it's just rejoicing in our salvation and the beauty of our salvation. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Jim reminded me that there are three ways to know God, oida, genosco, and epignosis. Oida means to see, and it's used to convey having full or accurate objective knowledge of something. You know all the facts, all the data about something. Ginosko tends to be used for experiential knowledge, as in Adam knew his wife, Adam experienced his wife. Epignosis is used to convey both of these, it seems. Full and accurate knowledge combines both oida and ginosko. That's what we want, isn't it? Full and accurate knowledge. So here's the conclusion question is have you become distracted? Um, So many times, isn't it true that the good distracts us from the best? It's not like like most of us are in uh, terrible sin, but often the good distracts us from the best. A couple of things I wanted to uh, cite in this is... um, Let's see, the first one was the parable of the sower, where the seed is sown among the thorns, and Jesus said the desire for other things entered in, and the seed was choked. We also read about about Martha, how she was distracted from the important things. And I don't know how many of you remember Bill Sanders up here saying that he believed Martha got a bum rap. Do you remember that, some of you? And uh, I kind of resonated with that because I have a a Martha at home who's a worker and a consummate server. And yet, you can think Martha got a bum rap, but the fact is Jesus rebuked her and uh, reminded her to remember the important things. And so let's let his words stand. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 7, we read where Paul talks, he's arguing about why you should consider not marrying. And he says that you might secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I was talking with Debbie Manchester about that, and she said, oh yeah, marriage is a game changer. Uh, I thought that was a great, great statement. Um. So I'd like to, uh, to end with that and just ask um, for a, 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 just a prayer. If you resonate with me, uh, that you would like to secure greater undistracted devotion to the Lord, the surpassing value 
of knowing Christ is on your heart for this year. I'd, I'd like to invite you to stand uh, with me, and we will pray together for that to occur. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask for a greater hunger and thirst for devotion to you. We pray, Father, that we would want to be not just more conformed into the image of your Son, but, but determined and desperate even to be conformed into the image of your Son. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the aroma of Christ in our primary relationships, the people that we're closest to, Lord, that uh, we wouldn't give ourselves the luxury to let our flesh uh, have, have greater reign in those primary relationships. Think of the verse that says, unite my heart. David prayed, unite my heart to fear thy name. We pray that that would be true, Lord, that you would gather up those rebellious and renegade and prideful pieces of our heart, undisciplined. Some of us just need to determine to discipline ourselves. Um, Lord, we ask for that power in our lives. Help us in our walks, Lord, our daily devotions to fully understand and know you. We pray for our ORU brothers and sisters, the professors, the scientists, and the scientists in our body that you would give them special wisdom and insight and joy as they pursue the disciplines that they have been called to, Lord. We pray that all of us would keep you first, and not just in a survival way, but in a full and vibrant and um, undistracted way. We pray that whatever state of life we're in, Lord, we would work toward this undistracted devotion to you. And in all things, Lord, may we glory and apprehend the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. We give you all the glory and all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.